Whether you like this or not, the things that are within you will be naturally built around you. And if you want to build culture, you have to start with building it within you. So you want to take communion as a church, you need to take communion as a staff together. You want to see healing, you got to start praying for healing here. You want to see the words of knowledge, you want to see the spirit of God move. You want to be a praying church, you want to be a missional church, like worship, whatever it is. Yeah, this has to be in this community. Well, hey, everyone, it's Jason here, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at International Justice Mission, and we're going to hear a little bit more about what they're up to later on the episode. Today, we've got my friend Darren Roundsen, who's the pastor of Garden Church in Long Beach, and we had a conversation that covered a lot of grounds. We talked about the digital desert, decisions that Darren is making in his life to clear the digital clutter. We talked about what it looks like as pastors and leaders to embody the values of our church, in our homes, and our personal lives. We talked about how to build resilient disciples, disciples that last in the midst of all kinds of challenges. And we talked about having a vision for our city, even beyond just our church. It was a fun conversation, a meaningful one, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we jump in, though, I just want to say a few words about our Facebook group that's happening on, of course, Facebook. That's where Facebook groups happen. And uh, we put it together to try to make community for pastors in Canada. And it's been so exciting seeing people like yourselves come on, introduce themselves, share stories, and build connections. And we're excited for what it could look like for it to be a space for people to meaningfully connect, share resources, and be encouraged. And the big idea is this. There is a lot to be excited about across Canada. In the midst of challenges, our best bet is to have one another, to cheer each other on, to see the big picture, to learn from each other, and to care for one another. So that's what the place is for. So if you haven't already, get on there, join the group, introduce yourselves, and we're excited to see where it goes. All right, with all that said, let's jump into today's episode with Darren. Well, Darren, it is so special for me to have you today. Thanks for making time to hang out with us on the podcast. Absolutely. It's such a delight and joy to be here, bro. <laughs> I'm already It's laughing. funny. When you do formal introductions, you start I saying know. things like delight, joy, it's delightful. honor. It's never how we would greet each other in yeah. passing. Darren, I was thinking about the first time we met. Our mutual friend, Todd Proctor, connected us. I was in California for some work with Alpha and uh, you're in Long Beach and you were really kind to take a meeting and I just loved it, man. I remember things you said to me. I remember where we walked. I remember interactions you had with people from your church or people you knew just because you walked those streets before and it was such a memorable time. And so thanks for being the kind of guy that would say yes to a meeting uh, on yes. a recommendation from Todd like that. Oh man, well, it's Todd Proctor. So you say yes when he asks yeah, you, you do. to do something. But you, you you are just as incredible. That was such a sweet time. I won't forget that either. I mean, oh, that built so a friendship. Good. Here we are a few years later, still connecting, still hanging. Oh, still it's talking. so good. And you visited Vancouver before, and we loved having you. And uh, what I'd love to do just to start is I'm so interested in your life and uh, Garden Church. And so why don't you just take us to wherever we need to start in the story to really understand some of the culture of Garden Church. Like, just like tell us about that planting story, what brought you there, and uh, and then we'll move our way through the story and park in a few cool spots along the way. Yeah, cool. Um, so just, you know, I was, in a nutshell, I, I grew up with a, a theology that didn't believe that the spiritual gifts were for today. So I kind of came from this background of cessationism, but then I, I later believed in the Holy Spirit academically and but I was never a part of a context that 
created space to pray or minister in ways that I've learned now. When I was 22 years old, I was in London at a church plant out of um, HTB. It, it was uh, a church that talked about the things of the Holy Spirit. We, we just did this group uh, of us went from um, one church in Southern California to we were on our way to India. And we stopped in London for a few days to connect with these churches. And they were talking about the Holy Spirit and things that were happening, like atheists becoming Christian through things like Alpha and uh, ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit, like people are being healed and prophecy. And it was so normal. It was like, it was weird to me. It was like, wait, this, this has happening. And like hmm. my concept of the things of the spirit were so removed from everyday ordinary life, like they were talking about. So after this meeting of really inspiring stories, they said, let's just pray for everyone. And I received prayer and I was changed. Uh, somebody prayed for me, hmm. radically changed my understanding of the Holy spirit. I um, felt like my mail was read and I literally thought somebody picked up my journal and was reading it. Um, so I like went looking for it, but it was under my stuff. So it was one of those weird experiences. But the very next day I was, we went to India and I felt the Lord say in my heart, like plant a church in Long Beach. I lived wow. in Newport. Newport beach is not Long Beach. Newport is like a very wealthy, affluent. Um, I know a lot about Newport because I watched the OC and I was against it's, it's the exactly OC. That. <laughs> I was against the show in high school. This is really important. I was against it because I was, you know, I was on fire for Jesus and I didn't do yes. the moral things like that. But then I went through a breakup in my like first year of my undergrad and I binge watched the whole season Your as like a cathartic experience. Your rebellion was like, I'm going to show you Christianity. Let's watch the OC. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, got yeah, a so I lived, I lived in the heart of Orange County and, um, I was engaged and my wife and I, uh, we were working at a church called Rock Harbor that Todd Proctor led and Todd just said, Hey, let's experiment. And eventually, you know, I was 23 when we started doing missional community stuff in the city of Long Beach and then moved to the city with my wife. We were a year into our marriage and then we started our church. So church planning for me was first an act of obedience from hearing God's voice. Mm. And so I would say for me, it was like learning to church plant was also a, a, a journey of learning who the Holy Spirit was and mm. wanting to become a community that was empowered by the Holy Spirit, like in the book of Acts. And I think every church planner gets excited about the book of Acts, like the raw, vibrant stories, also the conflict and kind of the robust journey of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And so we, we moved to the city, which our city at the time was the second most diverse city in the United States. It's the sixth most diverse city in the United States. It's half a million people one out of five uh, live below poverty, hmm. um, which is 22,000 for a family of four US dollars. Uh, and so we, we moved right into kind of the, the downtown area and started meeting the needs of our community. It was filled with homeless people, men living with HIV and AIDS. We were serving churches that were run down. And, you know, we just, we, we, we didn't know what to do. There wasn't like an industry of church planning when I moved here, which was I don't know, 13 years ago. Um, and so we just we just said, let's just love this community and ask what it looks like for kingdom to be mm. here, the kingdom of God to be here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, and so it wasn't like in some ways we had these like convictions about the spirit, about serving people and meeting the needs of the community and asking that question of the, what the kingdom looks like and and then doing it in small groups. That's always kind of the core core thing. But we didn't really have like a strategy for Sundays. That wasn't our primary thing. We were meeting monthly. Um, and then doing midweek or we're doing weekly small groups and we were just experimenting. And then along the way, it just kept growing. Um, hmm. And so we, we, 
we're doing the small groups and monthly prayer gatherings and worship gatherings. And then we decided, you know, as we were ministering to the city, what was strange, bro, was people we would meet would be, would say, Hey, we let me know when you become a real church, then we'll join. Hmm. And we're like, Oh, I love that. (laughs) What does that mean? And they're like, Oh, like a Sunday worship gathering, like every week. And we're like, Oh, okay. So the most contextual thing we can do in our cutting edge missional strategy is to start a Sunday gathering. And so we did. Uh, we did it at a nightclub bar cigar lounge uh, at night. Um, and we launched our church and in a nightclub. And we had kids ministry in a cigar lounge. We had industrial air purifiers set up every day. So we we finish our service, start tearing down. And then the bartenders would come and start setting up for the nightclub. Um at night. And that's, and literally that's, that's how we did church for a couple of years. And then we started a morning service because more people were coming. And then, you know, it was just like, and then we got kicked out because it closed and we went to a seventh day Adventist church and all the while our church was just growing. Um, and we were getting people in small groups and teaching them about the Holy spirit and just serving the community. It was, it was, it wasn't like this, you know, I wasn't like the most strategic or pastor or the had the greatest vision. I think I always had a vision for what would it look like for the city to be renewed. And then Mm -hmm. I always had a vision for a disciple being discipled. And I I kind of, the byproduct of the vision of the city and the vision for individual discipleship was this beautiful, diverse, eclectic church. Mm -hmm. Um, And I tell pastors that all the time. I said, look, you know, when I felt called to our city, I didn't have a vision for a church. I had a vision for a city. And I think that's what we need to see. We need to Mm -hmm. begin to ask the questions. What does heaven look like here? now and how do we come along the work of this of god and his renewal project um not as like the answer but as the co-partners you know the the co-heirs as the uh redemptive stewards of god's new creation and rather than focusing on the worship gathering and like i hear pastors talk about all the time they get so excited about their strategy and their 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 series a teaching series nothing wrong with that i love that but I don't get I don't hear them getting excited about reaching the lost. I don't hear them getting excited about decreasing divorce or decreasing mm. the poverty or decreasing homelessness or decreasing the crime or you know becoming the kind of person that's engaging in those things or at least having a vision for that. You know, so mm. we it seems it seems like we get a, a single focus and you can interrupt me anytime on this this community community experience rather than. Um, you know, re- recognizing that we're called to be light in the darkness and, mm. um, and just, you know, just bringing more awareness to the places, the context of Jesus's ministry. Mm. Um, yeah. People want the content of his ministry without the context mm. and it's, it's on the go. It's in the margins. It's in the, the places you least expect it. And I think mm. the grace of God on our church which I would say this wasn't intentional. This is what we stumbled upon. Everything that we have that's been successful, I would say was an accident by the grace of God. Mm. Um, And I think the only posture we had was humility that empowered that type of discovery. But it has been that we focus on the margins, we focus on the city, we focus on those who are hurting in the places that Jesus would go according to the scriptures. And then along the way, we've built this beautiful church, which we, we, we do care for and we love and we support and we, we have vision for, um, but it came out of something else. Anyways, I kind of rambled on that. So I, I could listen to you ramble all day. <laughs> I love it. You know, what's interesting. Um, you, you kind of, you talked about two, 
ideas. One is a vision big enough for the renewal of the city. And then this like very granular, how do you make a single disciple? And I think there's actually something really profound in that. And because there's some kind of hybrid where we kind of just focus on the activities of the church without anchoring them in these two really fundamental tasks. And what's interesting about the renewal of the city piece is for, and I think this is for everyone, but for sure for millennials, Gen Z, the vision to build a local church versus to renew the city are very different things. And one's worth giving your life to. And the other is like, I don't know. And so it's like, because sometimes in an effort to reach the next generation, it's been watering down the call. Yeah. But Jesus, I think it's actually ramping up the call. It's like lay down your life for the sake of... Right. And so talk to me about those two things a little bit more if you're up for it, because those are two yeah. distinct things that are marked by your life. But how do those things interplay and how is that actually shaping decisions you're making in the city and in discipleship? Yeah, I think that's so good, Jason, because for me, when I'm came to the city, I was deeply aware of the pain. And I think that's what the Lord, like I would spend, you know, I tell church planners, walk your city, like spend an entire day prayer, prayer walking. And that, that is not a wasted Hmm. experience. Like that's probably some of the most important work we can do as pastors of cities is to walk in like you walked with me. Like we just, I'm just walking with getting coffee Hmm. and know people and praying for people. And, um, so I was, I became aware and I became a student of the city. So I started learning about its history. I started learning about its pain. So, you know, when churches talk about, you know, the church plant Inc that's out there, the incorporated church planting movements, which there's nothing against them, but they have these numbers that, you know, you need to have X amount at your first gathering, you know, X amount of launch, you know, people launching your church. And for me, the numbers were always like, okay, 53% are single mom families. So we have 53% of our seven out of 10 black families don't have a father in the home. One out of four children in our city are below poverty, living in poverty. So when you start thinking about those numbers or at any given day, we have, you know, seven to 12,000 homeless individuals. That's not including those that are living in motels. Um, How many meals do we, we give out? You know, how, like I started thinking of those things and then the number of churches based on our church, size. So we did this research, how many people are actually going to church? And it was less than 10% of our city, wow. of half a million people. And that was 10, 12 years ago. So that number's probably gotten down, gone down since the, in the last 12 years. So we started thinking about those numbers and saying, okay, what would, it, what, what would, and then, oh, the other one was, you know, LA County has more kids in the foster system than any other place in the world, uh, in the U S excuse me. And so we said, we want to, we want to become a, a church that empowers foster adoption. And we started working Hmm. with groups like Safe Families and Olive Crest. And so we just said, let's just re let's just organize the greatest asset we have. The greatest resource we have is, are the people like, Hmm. it's not the money. It's not the brand. It's not the website. Like church is people. So that that's always essential. It's never going to get shut down and it definitely won't be restricted, especially if you have a biblical imagination of how God uses people. Um, which we can talk about, you know, the last word of the book of Acts as the most important word for a church during COVID. Um, but we'll save that for later. My, <laughs> so the vision was let's build, let's build something that influences the city and begin to pray God's dreams and desires for Long Beach. Um, and so we started working on that and strategizing those plans. Hmm. And then for me, I think what I learned because a lot of the formation stuff that I, I, I came into pastoral ministry, feeling called to at 19, my mentor and pastor, and he's on staff with us. Um, he's a professor and studied and he was mentored by Dallas Willard. So 
he was my professor. So when I came into pastoral vocational um, training, it was all spiritual formation. It was Dallas Willard. It was Richard Foster, Henry Nowen. It was like desert father. So getting into the, the, the pastoral ministry, I just assumed every pastor does spiritual formation. Like it was just an assumption. I remember when John Mark was bringing this stuff up back in the day at our gathering for other, like our pastor gathering. And he was talking about it. And I was like, wait, I was literally dumbfounded. I was like, wait, don't you all like, don't you all know this? Like, isn't this yeah. the norm? And then it was like John Mark's brilliant teaching on practicing the way that I'm like, wait, people don't do this. Like, and we need to, but what I realized was most of that stuff was um, inaccessible to the everyday person. And so we have, you know, tons of single moms and people living in, you know, transitional housing. We have um, in our church, we have uh, people who are working multiple jobs in different socioeconomic backgrounds. And then we have CEOs and, you know, professors and college students and all of those, everyone in between. And I started thinking, you know, we, we need to have some type of vision for discipleship information that would include the single mom with five kids who's mm. working two jobs and the professor and the CEO and, you know, the, the burnt out mom with three kids under five who's just struggling. And that became clear to me that um, if you can have a vision for a discipleship that can, can help create a pathway to transform the single mom with five kids and the, the family, you know, the, the, the guy that has it all together, who's the CEO with his family, you know, perceived um, all together. If you can have a vision for that and the vision for the city, the, mm. the byproduct will be this beautiful church. And, and that's, I think that's what's happened to us. And it's not perfect. Our church isn't perfect at all, but we have a beautiful experiment happening right now. So, mm. Oh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I heard, um, tell me if this is still the case. I heard a rumor about you guys. And it was a rule around stories that you tell. Is this true? That you? Yeah. What's the rule? So we do staff stories because how you, the stories that you celebrate build the culture, right, of your church. So the stories you celebrate internally, externally will build a, a culture. And I'm all about building culture versus strategy. Like Peter Drucker says, right, culture eats strategy for breakfast or something like that. Um, our strategy was to tell stories about risk and hmm. risk of share words of knowledge, praying on the streets, conversion, introducing people to Jesus, generosity stories. So all built around the things that have marked us as a church. And, and we, we just said, Hey, you can't come do it. So our staff meetings, we have to tell stories that aren't older than a week. And if we, you know, if we didn't have a staff meeting for two weeks, we'd say it's no older than two weeks. But the idea is we're not going to celebrate stories that are a year old here. We can't celebrate mm. a story that's six months old because that, that means you're celebrating something that's dead. We need stories that are fresh. We need stories that are current um, and keep you going. So literally we, would, we got to the point where we said, you can't attend staff meeting unless you have a story. So it's funny. Like we'd have lunch sometimes before staff. <laughs> that's so meetings. intense. But like, you know, I have no joke. One of my, my, one of my best friend who's on staff, John, he, he's like, I don't have a story. So he, he takes his, he's like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have lunch, goes out on the street, you know, where our office is and literally sees a healing and someone accept Jesus in 30 minutes and comes back with those testimonies. And it mm. wasn't like, he wasn't like, all right, I'm going to go convert. That's not his men mentality. His question is, you know, the way we do prayer on the streets often is, Hey, if God could do one miracle in your life, what would it be? And someone's like, Oh, you know, I would love for 
to win the lotto. And, you know, we say, okay, Lord, would you bring financial breakthrough? And, you know, we just pray a blessing over this person. And then oftentimes words of knowledge will come into someone's head. And that happened for John. And this person is on the street weeping. How did you know mm. this? I didn't. Jesus did. He wants a relationship with you. And this guy was a Christian and like rededicated his life back to God. And, and then, you know, and then he's coming to Alpha. So like mm. those stories by having that kind of that silly story, you know, you got to have a story that's no older than a week. It did create a fire within our community to just mm. go for it and to take risks. And we, and we celebrate the risk. Like, so what I mean is I I'm probably of all the people on our staff, I probably get it wrong the most. Like I'll have a, a story, you know, I'll, I'll have a word of knowledge. I think I'll have a word of knowledge. And then I'll go share it with some random person. They're like, no, that's not it at all. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm out and I'll walk away. But I'll, I'll, our staff will celebrate the risk. Like, hey, we, you know, mm -hmm. it wasn't done out of ill intention. It's done out of God's, you know, desire to bring his love. Um, and that's kind of our posture is we just want to express God's love to people. So. Anyway. Oh, I love that, dude. Um, one thing I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the last couple of years and, is that you've been very intentional to invite people to influence your life. And uh, in different ways, you talked about like kind of a, a long-term mentor who's on your staff, but you've actually got kind of an eclectic and intentional yeah. group of voices in your life. And I'm sure they've come and gone over the years, but can you just speak a little bit about this value of bringing people you admire or look up to in different ways into your life and then going after that? Yeah, I, I think I've always had this posture of learner. So, hmm. you know, before Evernote and Notes app and iPhone, I carried a journal everywhere I went. And I would, I would just journal. I've been doing the discipline of journaling for since I was 19. Um, but I learned because, because I was so insecure. I, I mean, I would say it's rooted out of this insecurity that plagued my life most of, most of my life until you know, I really understood God's love and true identity. Um, but I, I, I just never felt enough. I never felt good mm. enough, smart enough. Like, so I'm planting a church at 20 something, 23, 24. I do not feel equipped to do that. Of course not. I wasn't equipped, but I was responsible. So I, I looked for men and women who had done it, who had been around, who were older. Um, and I just asked to take them to coffee and then start asking questions. And that was it like that. So that's how I met my mentors. Um, people that I would say, we're in our industry of church leadership. One of my mentors is a guy who's 84. He was at Hollywood Presbyterian during the Jesus movement. Hmm. And then he became a, a vineyard theologian. His name's Don Williams. And, you know, he's, he's a, he was trained at um, Princeton and uh, Columbia Union Seminary and you know, true theologian. And, you know, he, he got his dissertation in um, the imitation of Christ and Paul's work. And mm. so his whole discipleship philosophy has shaped my life. And, you know, I, I still FaceTime him. He's, you know, because of COVID, we can't see each other, but he was going to our church for a while, but I just asked him into my life and he's taught me a lot of the meaning of life. His line is the meaning of life, his relationship. And mm. that shaped me. So I realized like the most important thing I can do is to invest in relationships. So I've had people who I actually am really close friends with two guys who are quite famous in the Christian world and they've written famous books and actually written famous books opposing each other yeah like um, on opposite ends of the theological on opposite and yeah. ecclesiological spectrum absolutely and they're dear friends both of them both of them are really close friends and they're they both love jesus and they have the heart of gold and you know some would call one side a heretic one would call someone archaic it's and they're not going to do that to each other but like 
I've just learned that, you know, we need to learn to love each other. We need to learn hmm. to listen and everyone has something to share and we can learn. Um, and so for me, and I, I have other mentors, like, you know, I have a friend who's at Bethel part of the senior leadership and he, he is really invested in my life. And, um, and I have business, a business friend, a guy who runs a really successful, successful company. So I've just learned to like, hold on to these dear friends that have similar values and then learn as much as I can. You know, I don't agree with all of them. Um, but that's okay. But they have a lot to say and give if you, and I think if you're out there and you're like, I need a mentor pray, I've prayed for mentors. I asked them into mm. my life. And then, uh, what I would do, this is what I would encourage you how to keep a mentor just real quick, Jason, cause I know you're struggling with this. Um, just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's just, I'll take it though. This is, this is something this is I'm, like, I'm this passionate about learning about. This is just the secret. Ready? When you go to meet with them, have a list of questions that you've thought through, which is what you do when you do this podcast, and then pull them out and ask them the question and then write down their answers. And then here's the secret. When you're done, do what they said, read that book, take that mm. advice and give them feedback on it. Like wow. one of my friends basically was like, he was super busy. We had 30 minutes together and he gave me a list of like eight books and I read all of them within mm. like a month. And then I said, Hey, here are my thoughts on those books. And I, and he, he was shocked. He was like, I didn't right. think I'd hear you in a year. Like nobody does this. And I'm like, Oh no, I'm really interested in what you have to say. He's like, all right, can I, why don't you fly up to Northern California and spend, spend a few days with me then. And I was like, yeah. okay, invitation in this guy's life, you know, like global leader be all because I just followed through and he was saying, nobody followed through. So just follow mm. through. Wow. All Dude, you that's pastors huge. out there, just email somebody, ask to meet see what happens. If they say no, don't worry about it. Ask for to follow through with their advice. See what happens. And we'll be right back after this. In Micah 6 verse 8, it says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? And the Bible speaks again and again about the justice God longs for in our world. And his plan to use the church as his vehicle to bring about justice. And I've been thinking a lot, especially in this time, that the question of what are we, being the church, going to do to respond to the realities of injustice in our own neighborhoods and around the world is a question that every church leader needs to wrestle with. International Justice Mission is one of the largest anti-slavery organizations in the world. And they want to work with your church to understand and live out biblical justice. Today, there are more than 40 million people worldwide trapped in slavery. And I don't want to just brush past that, like 40 million humans trapped in slavery today. And the team at IJM want to do something about it, and they want to do it with you. And so for resources to join the fight for justice, visit ijm.ca slash cclp. Visit IJM. .ca/cclp where you'll find everything you need to be part of the fight against slavery, human trafficking and violence. Let's continue the conversation with Jason and Darren. You have this line on your website. Um, we talked about this a little bit, but I want to land on it a little bit more that one of the expressed purposes of Garden Church is making resilient disciples. And uh, I want to know, I want to understand more about what you mean by resilient. Right. Um, I think when we talk about resilient disciples, I think we're talking about using language that help frame um, 
discipleship outside of just a spiritual concept. And I think that's the big part of what we, what we recognize is like so much of Christianity has made this um, discipleship, you know, or, or even relationship with God as a spiritual thing. So it's like, Jesus wants your prayer life. He wants your Sunday mornings. He wants maybe a midweek, but he doesn't want your finances. He, he wants 10%. But I, I, what we've been focused on is like discipleship is every aspect of your mm. being. And so, you know, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. So it's physical and emotional and, and spiritual and relational and mental. There's, you know, five facets to the human soul that each of those things need to be stewarded on behalf of Jesus and carefully processed with him. And he needs to have lordship into those aspects of your life. So when we talk about resilience, we're talking about, especially in view of what happened with COVID when things begin to shut down, like we put that on a website, then it was something we were working on, hmm. but also because we believe the kind of disciple of the future, especially in the West has to have a form of resilience, emotional resilience and health, um, you know, a mental resilience. I think, you know, we're in, we're still in COVID right now. And U.S. just yesterday hit 500,000 deaths. Hmm. And I think that the future church is going to have to figure out how to d- help mental health. Like it will be, and it was already a problem before, but I think, you know, we're going to have to get some health in our, our, our mental health uh, as, as disciples. So that, well, that's what I mean. Like developing people who are resilient, who engage in culture, who are not easily moved by the, the whims, you know, the waves of, news cycles and social media, but have a, a sense of stability and strength to uh, thrive in life. So that that's kind of the idea behind it, that hmm. we want to have a resilience as a people of God, that when COVID shuts down everything. So for me, it's like when COVID shut down, we, we anticipated, we were like one of the few churches in our area that saw it coming um, hmm. and we were prepared. We actually hosted a, a gathering. We, were, we led a gathering of 45 churches uh, to talk about how to prepare for COVID the day before things shut down by our governor. Um, and people thought we were crazy at this meeting. They were like, we thought we were going to learn about protocols for taking communion during a pandemic. And we were saying, you have to be on live stream. You're not going to be able to do house groups. You're going to, we were calling all of it. Right. Um, and, you know, I think for so many churches, there was this moment of like, we're done. Like where the church is, you know, shut down. And for us, it was like, no, this is the moment where we show our resilience as the people of mm. God. Like let's serve, um, let's serve meals to workers in the hospitals and frontline workers. That's what we, we just started doing that um, immediately uh, preparing for what was coming. And that's what I think the church needs to become uh, is mm. a form of resilience in all areas of life. So like financial resilience, how do we learn to steward our resources in a way that prepare for future economic uncertainty? How does the church help people do that? I think that's part of what we get to do as disciples because all of that is important. Hmm. I love that, dude. You said something before we started recording that I want to press into a little bit. I think, I think you were talking about the internal life of the leader and and you said this line, you said, what you build in you is what you build around you. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. What you build yes. in you is what you build around you. And one of the things um, I've appreciated about journeying with you is you're, you're constantly reflecting on your own discipleship, not, not in a healthy way, but you're saying, hey, my own apprenticeship to Jesus, my own discipleship, and the decisions I make around specific things in my life and people around me, the way I handle money, the word of God, all these things. 
Can you just unpack a little bit more what you mean by this idea of what you build in you is what you build around you? Yeah, if there was anything I could leave young leaders with, um, it would be that. It would be recognizing to not get distracted by building community um, with ideas of, you know, programs or policies or practices or what, you know, concepts that you got from a book. But actually, no matter whether you like this or not, the things that you build, the things that are within you will be naturally built around you. And if you want to build culture, you have to start with building it within you Hmm. and your immediate household um, and your staff culture and your leadership culture. And then it will permeate to the, the rest of the community. So our focus has always been a church within the church since 2014 when um, one of my, my mentor is Don Williams that he, he just came to our staff meeting in 2014 or 15. And he just said, he, he was close friends with John Wimber from the vineyard movement. And he just brought vineyard John, John Wimber quotes. And one of them was, you have to be a church within a church. So whatever you want the church to experience, you have to experience it here. So you want to take communion as a church. You need to take communion as a staff together. You want to see healing. You got to start praying for healing here. Mm. You want to see the words of knowledge. You want to see the spirit of God move. You want to be a praying church. You want to be a missional church, like worship, whatever it is. Yeah. This has to be in this community. Um, otherwise it, it won't, it, it won't exist really the way you want it. I think I learned, I'll just sh- share this story. So like I learned this probably the most significant way when I went to visit that friend at a Northern California church. And I spent a couple of days with him and saw this massive community globally famous doing incredible things that I could just, I couldn't even imagine building here. And I was overwhelmed by the end of my time. We just, I followed this leader around for a few days and he was dropping me off at the airport. And I was like, okay, like, what do I do now? Like, how do I build? I want to build a prophetic culture like this. Like I want to have, that like working in the industries and I want to build it. And he's like, okay, you, is this what you want? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you want it in your heart. I'm like, yeah, I want it. He's like, okay, this is the strategy. Take out your journal. So I pulled out my journal. He's like, go home. And when you're sitting down at dinner, um, you have Ezra and Amos who are seven and three years old and your wife, I want you to tell your family, okay, if Jesus walked into the room right now, what would he say to Ezra? And I want you guys all to pray that prayer over each other. And then you're going to do it with your wife. And then you're going to do it with Amos. And you're going to teach your ch- children to begin to prophesy and learn how to hear God's voice for each other. Once you've done that long enough, then start doing that as a staff. And then let's see where it goes. And it hit me. It just hit me. Like what you build within you is what will be built around you. And that has to be the case for the leaders of the future. Look at what we're seeing right now. I mean, Look at what we're seeing in the headlines. New York Times is talking about a famous church in New York and the pastor that happened there, you know, the apologetics ministry and what happened with their leader. You're seeing uh, uh, the the failure of character to be accountable, the leaders mm. to be accountable. Like I've seen in my life and so many leaders fall apart and I'm not exempt. And the moment you think you're exempt, the moment you're, you're preaching something that's not congruent with your life, you're a hypocrite. And so how do you deal with that incongruence? You have to disciple with Jesus and process those things. So hmm. I think for leaders, like to, to recognize you're not going to be perfect, but you are in on, an, on a journey and you're in process. But to start with the things that you desire for the church, build them into your own life and routine. And um, don't miss that step. Hmm. And I love the example you gave. And I, 
what I also love is that it applies to really practical things. Like if you want a hospitable church where like newcomers are welcomed, is your family like that? And is your church office like just to the other staff, like really, really hospitable? Like, do they love eating together? And that's actually a little bit convicting because culture is hard to change and it can seem easier to try to implement a program to try to shift something than it could be to actually like incubate it really deeply. We've seen this with even like trying to create cultures of evangelism or invitation. It's like the overwhelming thing as a pastor is, oh, is it, am I living into it in my own life? Right. Um, and that's, there's something convicting there. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's for me, it's like, you got to embrace your limitations, um, recognize the weaknesses are the entry points for God's greatness and glory. Mm. And, and then I think, I think so much of my journey has been trying to be someone, trying to build a community that I wasn't willing to be first. Mm. And then, cause that takes way more time, right? It's way easier to preach about evangelism than to live an evangelistic life. It's way easier to teach on healing in a Sunday gathering than to be someone who's willing to pray for healing on the streets. Mm. Like, I don't, I, I think that's the problem is we've elevated pastors to be these disembodied influencers rather than incarnational followers. Hmm. And that's what I am. I'm an, I just incarnate. I don't want to do anything or lead anyone to something that I haven't done. And I I think that's, we need that kind of leadership, um, slower, less like, I don't care about fame. I don't care about wealth. I don't care about having a book deal. I, I don't have a book. I don't, I, I have been rid of those things um, because I actually, I, I love Jesus and I believe in him and I believe the church is his plan A and mm. um, not the church we are modeling in the West, um, but the church that I think he's longing to build through people who will be humble um, and actually take seriously his scripture, his words in his scripture and the Holy Spirit and, you know, reconstruct life around his way which is why I love your, the name of your church, by the way. <laughs> so It's everything. We're like, what should we name the church? What should we name it? And just flipping through the Bible and be like, well, seemed good enough for people in Acts. So, so good. <laughs> it's good enough for us. Um, although it does sort of sound like a cult, but that's I fine. think it, it actually is a cult in the U.S. But anyways, that's a whole other discussion. That's, that's a true story. They might cut this from the interview, but for sure in the <laughs> States, there's a cult, a cult called The Way. Yeah. And we have a friend who's tried to name his church yeah. The Way, and then they got like served papers. See, yeah, they did. Yeah. So, but in Canada, so far, so good. I have no idea if they're going to cut that or not. We'll see. Okay. We'll see if that makes it through. Let's just keep Hey, in. dude, <laughs> you're in the middle of a thing called the digital desert. And uh, it's funny calling it like a I, like it's like it's trademarked. It's not trademarked, um, but you referred to it as a digital desert. Tell me about yeah. some of the. This is a rule of life for this season for you. Yeah. Um, well, it came out of so again hearing God's voice. Like I in 2018, I was traveling all over the world preaching, and it was like one of those like you when you're a young pastor, you're like I was young two years ago when you were a young pastor. Um, there's just like, you know, you've traveled a bunch. Like there's this excitement of like traveling and speaking and like you feel way more significant than you really are. Mm-hmm. And there's an illusion of, of influence and, you know, whatever. And I was in San Francisco finishing like an eight day thing that I was leading at my friend's church, our mutual friend Dave's church. And I, I was exhausted. And 
I literally went back to the apartment I was staying in for the eight days in San Francisco. And I just, I literally put my stuff down and I heard the Lord say, um, go into the desert next year is all, it was like the end of November. And he's like, I want you to get off. I don't, I want you to turn down all of your speaking engagements for 2019. I want you to go into the desert digitally. That's what I heard him say, get off all forms of social media and don't, it was like, don't follow the, the, the tide that's hmm. forming like the, the current that you've built. And it was re- basically coming off of this year of like being recognized by some of these smaller communities. I wasn't, it's not like I was recognized, but that's what I felt. And then God's like, you need to go hide and live in obscurity. Um, And so 2019, I I turned, I had to basically cancel like 30 events and then got off social media and all, all forms of it. And just felt like the Lord say like at the end of 2019, what I heard the Lord say, I literally thought this is what I, this was just, you know, I felt like he say future movements are going to be led from garages through YouTube and leaders are going to knock and travel and they're going to have to lead their communities from local existence, like from the local. I didn't, and I'm, so I'm thinking I got to build a YouTube channel. I got to build, like, I got to go, like, that's what God wants. You know, that's the way. And then COVID hits. And it's like, no one's traveling. Everyone, like, so you have this entire industry in the church that's shut down. I know friends that are fully financed by traveling engagement, just lost all their income. And all of a sudden church, lead, like that idea is gone. And now you're stuck, you know, leading your church. And ha- having been prepared for like that time, I was just, it was so easy to like step into 2020 um, in this place of like a year of preparation and then I got back on social media thinking we need to, we need to engage here. Um, but then I felt that, I mean, there's so much tension, I read all these books. And then I just felt like, you know, the way forward is not through, this is where I'm at now. I do not think the way forward is through influencing people on social media. Mm-hmm. I think the negative is to, and this is my personal belief. I think it just, the, 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 the negative far outweighs the positive. People are like, oh, you know, they, you have a platform to protect. When were we ever supposed to protect flat platforms or build a platform as pastors? Like that is such a naive statement. That is so the way of the world. Like Jesus could have built a platform, but he didn't. Why aren't we following his model, investing in a few people over a long period of time and investing in a culture that does that um, locally? I think we spend so much energy on this artificial sense of influence and purpose and significance. And um, we're not spending that same amount of energy in the way that Jesus did it. Like if you just read the gospels and said, if I built the church around the way of Jesus, what would it look like? Most of your time would be spent with your disciples traveling. And the, the second thing you would do is cast out demons and heal the sick. Um, and then you'd probably go to a lot of parties and eat a lot of good food with a lot of people in homes. And then you would preach occasionally, occasional preaching, and you would teach all the time because your disciples were with you and you'd be having conversations that were far more rooted in life than what we've built. Hmm. And so it's, it's just in my sense, going back to the digital desert, I think you look at, you know, mental health issues, you look at um, what feels like uh, signal virtuing, uh, what's happening with, with like, as organizations, as churches, we have to engage in these cultural liturgies. And I just feel like I don't want to operate like that. I want to be, Hmm. I want to help people see Jesus and experience the real Jesus. And I just, I just don't know if like 
the way forward for, for me personally, because what was happening as a pastor is I was expected to speak out on all the issues that we were dealing with, with politics, with COVID mm. restrictions. Um, I was getting from the left and the right issues, whether I was posting something or not. And it became this, this really challenging experience where I'm like, when did, when did I have to become an expert on all these things? Um, when that's, I don't feel called into that. I feel called Obviously, we can speak to culture. The gospel is political. I'm not saying that. We need to speak out against injustice. I'm saying all of that stuff. But it just felt like there was this like hmm. um, zeitgeist, like this thing in the air that you had to jump into this current that was swimming fast. And I just think that's not the way of Jesus. So hmm. the digital desert has been so liberating for me because I find myself, I'm not distracted. I'm not trying to, I'm not consuming images of other people i'm not feeling like i need to compare myself like i once did um and there's not like this there's not a sense of self-importance when i need to say something about this mm. to make sure everyone knows where i stand i don't have that um mm. so i feel free from that but i have a, that's that's a luxury i can i can take when i was a youth pastor not too long ago we had a youth leader who didn't have a smartphone and it just blew the minds of the students they're like hold up what yeah and it was just this like powerful, almost prophetic. I know it's a funny statement to put on a flip phone, but prophetic yeah. picture. And like he had real reasons for it. He's like, oh, I just struggle with purity when I have my phone. Or he wouldn't always say that, but he's like, oh, I just also get really distracted. And yeah. And years later, you know, he's now on a smartphone because of work stuff and different things. And he's navigating that, but it was very sincere long-term. And it's just so interesting how something as simple as a pastor not being on social media can seem like a countercultural move. <laughs> right. It's and, okay. So um, I, I have this it. story. I, I just went backpacking in Joshua tree for my friend's 40th birthday. And um, we were talking about lofty ideas, like the future of the world and the future of the West. And it was, it was fascinating issues of, you know, the problem of our profit driven capitalism and, you know, the effects of the neighbor. And, and then I sat, we, we started talking, there's five of us around a campfire. Like what, what do we do? Like, what do we, now what? Like, and I, we were, I, I just said, Hey, I think we need to get practical. And so the next day I woke up really early and, um, I wrote out some stuff, but these guys who run companies, one of them runs a digital marketing company. One of them runs a sales company and one of them's a pastor like me and another one's a designer. And we were like, okay, commitment. Number one, turn your phone into a smartphone or a dumb phone. So hmm. no emails, no social media. So we're doing it through Lent. We started before and one guy, I kid you not, two weeks in, his wife said, this man is a different person. Wow. He's a better father. He's, a be he's more present. He's the pastor, by the way. He's present. He is um, taking responsibility for the kids early in the morning, giving me time to homeschool. Like the, the, it's like night and day by just like getting the news off of his phone. All these little tiny micro decisions had this macro impact on the state of his marriage wow. and parenting. So of course, it is a prophetic thing because it's such a deep, deeply distracting, deeply uh, formational thing, our phones. So hmm. I think it's powerful. That was, that was, that's a two-week-old story. Hmm. Can you do both? Can you be deeply incarnationally locally and still write books or have a measure of influence? I, I hope so. Yeah, I, I, I think people, the future leader needs to be able to be grounded authentically in a local church, known and knowing others. And I think we'll have a bigger platform. Of course. I, I think, you know, we have friends that have that and I do think it's possible. I, this is a whole other conversation. I'm not going to, I'm going to just drop it here, but it does feel like there is this 
Um, and I'm going to be careful because I don't know who sponsors you or anything like this, but there's like this consumer Christian culture marketing conglomerate, like powerful industrial complex that is pushing the sales of these books or these brands in ways that you have to participate on their behalf, which is the world's behalf. And I'm all for getting the messages out to the largest audience, of course, but it does feel like you're, we're getting to the place where everything is about self-promotion for, for mm. something. And I just wonder if there's not an alternative way. Like, I feel like publishing industry needs to be disrupted, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I love chatting with you, man. It's so <laughs> I really enjoy it. And I, um, and I, I really, I, I really value the integrity by which you're talking. And this is stuff you're like, you're not just riffing being like, drop these mind bombs you're like ah like i'm trying to live into this in my personal life and these aren't simple ideas but i think it's really important that we chat about it i think it's i think it's particularly important for pastors it's interesting that you said with that group of five how much of a difference it made in the pastor's life and there's lots of reasons for that but there's something about our work that can feel sometimes so disconnected from the results that like that being on that phone checking the news feeling like it's all important it's, it's also a coping mechanism for something really challenging about being a pastor. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's not, I think there's lots to be chatted there. I think there's lots of reasons for it, but I think I'm receiving from this chat with you, the invitation to consistently renegotiate my relationship with my phone, with social media, the way I inter- interact with things like platform, because you've got, I've got these whole frameworks in my head of trying to be like, Lord, how do I do this in a way that honors you? And it has to be challenged. And these have to be things that we're comfortable enough to, to consistently wrestle with. So I really appreciate you pushing on those things, man. Yeah. You got well, Steve to talk about one more thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Drop well, your thought there. There's a, there's a line from a pastor, I forget what his name is, but it's not me. And he, it's from a book. I think it's called Sensing Jesus. We'll have to check this out later, but he says, um, we do things. Um, I think it's in the West. We do large things famously as fast as possible. Hmm. That, that seems to be the way of culture, but Jesus does small things, mostly overlooked over a long period of time. Hmm. And so for me, the question is always, well, if, if we're following Jesus as a rabbi, if he's our rabbi or teacher and I'm his disciple, I want to not just know what he knows or I want to do the things that he did. And I want to engage in culture and society today and habits today that would be shaped by his discipleship. And I look at ways we compromise our discipleship because everyone else is doing it or even in Christian culture, like Christian, you know, subculture. Well, these famous leaders are doing it. So we should, we should engage in it that way. Um, I always ask the question, well, why? Hmm. If, you know, if our, our king did it a certain way, why aren't we trying it his way? Like, what, why? It's like, why don't we, you know, I, I think that's what I just wrestle with. I wrestle with the scriptures. So why aren't we trying it more this way? Hmm. And, and, and obviously that's not a question to answer that you and I have to answer right now, but I think that's a good question to ask. One thought that popped to my mind as you're sharing, um, I think a lot about just the power of affirmation from your peers and close friends. And there's definitely a sense by which as a pastor, mostly pastors and church leaders listening, um, you do get affirmation when things happen at scale, a good attendance, uh, 
you speak somewhere, you mentioned publishing, whatever it is, but it happens like on the micro level, macro level. And I think two things popped in my mind that are deeply practical that I just would love for the church in Canada and beyond listening is first, we need deep friends that see our personal life, like to see how we're treating our spouse, how we're dealing with finance. You need to let people in. And then those people, and if we're that person for someone else, we need to take seriously our job to be an encourager of the things that matter most. Yeah. Because the reality is we live in a moment where it's like not many people see inside of our, inside of our worlds. And we often celebrate things that aren't of the most first importance. Right. And I think that's hard. But man, that needs to be cultivated to let yeah. people in deep enough. And then if, you're, if you have been led into someone's life, man, if there's another pastor you know um, who's loving their neighbor well, or making, sacrificing opportunity for the sake of family, text them, call them. You're doing it, man. Way yeah. to go. I see that. I see that sacrifice. God's going to honor that. You've inspired me. And uh, I really think that could make a tangible difference if pastors right. began to do that for one another, friends began to do that for another. What a difference that could make. Right. So good. Absolutely. And I think that journey is the loneliest one hmm. because it's easy to keep up with the other forms of church leadership. There's networks for that. There's conferences before COVID. There's conferences for that. There's, you know, there's there's webinars Zoom, for that. Webinar there there is, but there what like, yeah. What? How do you hold? How do you know when a pastor is serving quietly? You know, in the shelters, um, as part of his rhythm of life, when he's actually discipling his kids, yeah. and not just sending dropping them off at school, and you know. Get, being quick with them because of whatever, but they're actually, they're forming the the faith and the worldview of their children in the way of Jesus. And, you know, I, I don't think we get in the inside scoop on those things because there's not, you know, an acronym for, for that. There's not like a, a good teaching series on that, but I think that's what people need. That's what new mm -hmm. leaders need today is what, what are the rhythms that you've created? What are the things that your families are holding to in, in during COVID, which, you know, LA has been the, one of the epicenters in, in how have we navigated, you know, and not having gatherings since March of 2020 and how do we disciple family? Like, so there's so many questions that I wish, and that's when I, you know, when I would meet with mentors, those are the questions I would ask. Like, what, what is your mm. rhythm like when you wake up? What's it like? What's been the hardest thing about your marriage and leading a church and, writing like writing books and dealing with that and criticism how do you deal with mm. criticism you know one of the greatest advices i was given this is i know you're probably wanting to wrap up but um was a pastor needs to learn how to disappoint people well and wow. i thought that, that that was his number one advice just learn to disappoint people and that if i were to learn that at 23 i wouldn't have burnt out by 27 and 28 um and I think that's a big issue that we we're not here to make people happy. We're here to lead them towards the cross. And, um, and that's going to disappoint a lot of people. So mm. anyways, I think, I think you're onto something with that. And this podcast is super helpful. I think getting to know perspective of leaders from around, you know, the world and your Rolodex of friendships are staggering to me because you're well connected, much like Todd Proctor. So. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful for your time, man and yeah. uh, for the passion and giving us the insight you did. So thanks for hanging out today, buddy. Oh, it's such a, such a delight. <laughs> the joy and a delight. <laughs> it's great to be with you, dude. What an encouraging conversation. Thanks again to Darren for sharing his heart with us today. 
Before we share about next week's guest, we want to remind you that we recently launched a Facebook group for church and ministry leaders to connect, celebrate, and support one another. One of our rhythms for this group will be to continue the conversation from our weekly podcast, highlighting a theme or question for us to unpack together. So this week, we would love to discuss Darren's thought about having a vision for a city, not just a church. So head over there to contribute and learn from others. And if you haven't joined yet, you can find the group by searching Canadian Church Leaders Network on Facebook. Okay, next week, we are looking forward to having John Ozanting on the podcast. John currently lives in Edmonton, Alberta, and he sat down with Jason to share his story of moving from Winnipeg a few years back to plant Evolve Church. Well, that's it for today, friends. And if you enjoyed this conversation, we love when you share it on social media and let your friends know. We just want to keep stirring the imagination of church leaders and sharing encouraging stories of God moving in our country. Have a great week.